Well, we're talking about Parent Trap. We are talking about Parent Trap. Parent Trap, um, I did not realize was Lindsay Lohan's, like, debut yeah. film until in the opening credits it pulled the, like, introducing Lindsay mm-hmm. Lohan, which we don't see anymore, and I think we should bring it back. Okay, I think we should bring back opening credits. Yeah. I'm like, because I've been watching a lot of movies from this era lately because I've been, like, watching through all the Oscar movies of the past 32 years because that's how many movies it takes to make a bracket. Um, and, like, I miss opening credits. It's such a good, like, set-the-scene moment. Opening credits rule. I would also like to say, so in our uh, dubiously paired m- movies, they both have a lot of exposition in their opening credits. They do. They're, yeah. Immediately <laughs> when I started playing, because I watched, uh, I guess I introduce the fucking podcast. Uh, <laughs> this is a podcast called The Thinnest Thread. It's a podcast about double features, specifically double features, where you're asking yourself, why the fuck am I watching these two movies back to back? I'm Caleb. I'm Emma. All right. So for the first series, we paired The Parent Trap and Face Off. Um, Lindsay Lohan starring the first one, and then John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. The second one, very popular movies, very well-known. They both did very well in their time. And as you said, they both open with just long opening credits that kind of set up like the whole movie and then go into it. And we'll, we'll talk about Face Off in its own episode. We're going to do Parent Trap now. But I think Parent Trap did it better. Ooh. I think it did it better. I think, so here's why I think Parent Trap did it better. Because I think Parent Trap is... It is like the prologue to a story, and I mean, Face Off is as well, but it's not about our central characters as much, and it's very like easygoing introductory story of the two parents coming together, um, Nick and Elizabeth, and we see their romance, we see them on the ship and whatnot, it sets all that stuff up, but we never actually introduce the daughters at all, and then we just hard cut to the camp, whereas with Face Off, it's like the whole assassination thing with the dead kid and that awful fucking mustache. I love the mustache. <laughs> oh, save it. But God, no, it's terrible. I'm so glad you got it. Okay. Um, but it doesn't, it's not like, that feels so much more like part of the story. Like that is, that's kind of almost the inciting incident in that movie. Whereas with the opening for Parent Trap with the parents getting together, that is just kind of laying the platform, the groundwork for Lindsay Lohan to be a rough actress at the start. But she gets better. You can kind of see like the, the scenes they filmed first and the ones they filmed last because this is very clearly her debut, even though I didn't realize it when I was a kid. Uh, and then it, it improves as we go through the runtime. Yeah. Ooh, you picked these movies this week. I did. Yeah. Um, so why are we watching these two movies together? Like, give me your pitch on why uh, we're watching these two uh, movies together. Yeah, well, they're both movies about people switching places, which is, like, a very common theme. It's one that's been done a billion times. Uh, but I really like The Parent Trap. It was, like, one of my favorite movies as a kid. It was definitely one of my favorite rom-coms as a kid. And I had never seen Face Off, but, like, I pretty much knew the whole movie because it was such a pop culture phenomenon. And I was like, those are weird movies. You shouldn't watch those together. And you shouldn't. <laughs> They're not a good pairing. But I did. Watched them <laughs> back to back. Yeah, I did not watch these movies on the same day. Because I, I like I liked to digest a little bit. Also, I just... That feels like cheating. Emma. Okay, it's like, I... We're doing a show about <laughs> double features. You have to watch them as a double feature. I work for a living. I can't watch Me two too. Movies. <laughs> I also have a job. Let's put, like, make that clear. I work a full 40-hour week paying my bills, I just also don't do anything else other than watch movies. Yeah. Okay, so... Okay, so I had seen Parent Trap before this, I think. I didn't remember it particularly, but I remember watching... I'm pretty sure it was Parent Trap at some point as a small child with my mom, who hated it because she was like, kids would never be able to trick their parents like that. Um, She also doesn't like rom-coms, so... I'm afraid your mom will listen to this, but I don't like your mom as much anymore. I do not like rom-coms. Do you not like romance and comedy? They're like central emotions, central feelings to the human condition. I regret to inform you that I also do not like rom-coms. Emma! 
Stop. Okay. Dude, okay. Why? What do you, why do you not love love? You're, you, like, got married in a beautiful spring wedding earlier this year. How are you going to tell me you don't like rom-coms? Okay, it's not... It's because I don't think rom-coms are, like, in any way indicative of, like, what the actual experience of love is like. Well, no, but it makes you all warm and fuzzy inside, and, like, that's kind of the same feeling. I literally, like, while I was watching this, they got together at the end, and I said black, and my wife was like, you're ruining it! Oh, well, I like Asha more now. Uh... Conversely, it cut at the ending when they're doing the big romantic kiss and it cuts to one of the Lindsay Lohans and she's like holding her heart across that exact mirror. I was sitting in my bed just holding my heart like, oh, beautiful. Love it. And then I realized that the child actress was doing the same reaction. And I went, <laughs> Maybe I should look in the mirror a bit more. I well, love that I'm the cynic for this one. <laughs> well, listen, I feel like in our relationship, you friendship, relationship sounds weird. Uh, <laughs> I've always been painted as the cynic, but I'm starting to learn you're the cynic. I like things. I like liking things. I like love and comedy, and you apparently don't. Okay, I like both love. I um, have more mixed feelings on comedies. I think comedy is a really hard genre to do right. Okay, can we at least agree that this movie is fucking hilarious? It's funny. It's so funny. Like, the entire... I would say the entire movie, but especially the first act and, like, most of the second act. I was laughing way more than I remembered laughing in this movie. Especially all the camp sequence, like the fencing scene. I mean, <laughs> goofy. Like, I don't, I've never been to a summer camp. I don't know if you have. But I imagine fencing is not, like, a common occurrence <laughs> at, like, girls' summer camps. Um, so this is fully a thing I think was invented just because, like, I don't know. What's a thing they can do where they don't see their face? Uh, but it's hilarious. And it's amazing. And I love it. And then yeah. they to play poker. Oh, my gosh. I love that scene. I feel like that was so much. I had, like, a, a period of time as a small child where I, like wore sunglasses inside for like a long period of my life not because i wanted to look cool but because i had like a mi minorly horrifying facial injury and i was trying to stop small children from crying when they saw my face um so i wore a lot of sunglasses inside um and i was like ah <laughs> it cool. could be baby me you were cool all you had to do was learn how to play texas hold'em and kick a little british version of you's ass in poker and you'd be good to go <laughs> Yeah, I also, I enjoyed the camp stuff. I enjoyed the, I felt like they had like a callback to Carrie with barbecue sauce going on there. Uh, I'm gonna, small confession, I've never seen Carrie. Okay, there's like I know a, like the scene with the blood and the thing. Yeah, it, it like, it felt similar enough to me that it felt like it had to be a reference of like, they like fill like this giant container full of pig's blood and dump it on Carrie at the thing. And I feel like they yeah. were like filling the giant container of barbecue sauce. And I was like, oh, this is just like Carrie redone as a slapstick comedy for children. Maybe. I feel like the, like, pouring the bucket of things on people, like the, uh, put it up on the doorway so it spills on them kind of thing is, like, a really common trope in comedies, especially children's comedies, but... It's true. Maybe I just wrecked my brain by watching too many horror movies. Yeah, well, this is what you get. You watch too many horror movies and now you don't like love and comedy and you're the worst person. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So we touched briefly there with, like, the prank war, mm -hmm. which is very short. It's, like, two pranks. They each get one. Right? Yeah. Well, so it starts with her, they steal... British Lindsay Lohan's, which is Annie. They steal Annie's clothes while she's jumping into the lake because she lost a poker game. Uh, and then Annie retaliates. I don't remember how Annie retaliates. She puts all the furniture itself. on the roof. Right, which, badass. Like, I don't know how she did it. They don't explain it, just they cut to it and it happens. Fucking funny. And then Hallie, the American Lindsay Lohan, um, sets a very elaborate, like, Rube Goldberg series of whipped cream and chocolate and feathers and whatnot. And then they get caught and the prank war is over. I kind of wish it had gone on just a little bit longer. I wanted like two or three more pranks. That was by far, I think, my favorite part of the movie. 
Um, I have really fond summer camp memories. I don't know how you got through your life without ever going to summer camp, but... Um, I lived, for the majority of the beginning of my life, I lived in like a middle of nowhere Texas small town. So every day was summer camp. Um, and also my parents weren't rich, so... Okay, but like summer camp is not expensive. <laughs> it always seemed expensive to me. It was like a thing that like rich private school kids did. I'm, I'm sure it's not. I know it's not, but that was the impression it always gave. Yeah, I went to summer camp. There's definitely like, I don't know what kind of bougie rich person summer camp has fencing at it, but like no summer camp I've ever been to or heard of has had fencing. So Okay, so maybe this movie particularly just like wrecked <laughs> my view of summer camp. So it's like fencing and a, a whole, you're not in timeout. You go to the isolation cabin, which yeah. is dark like a real twisted thing to just like you're in trouble go live in a whole other house separated off from everybody that is nowhere near the rest of the camp seemingly like they, they walk off into the forest to do this isolation camp uh but then they find all their sisters and it's so cute it, it, that part is cute i like baby Lindsay lohan i feel like on my better days as a small child i looked like again Lindsay lohan um interesting okay i you know wouldn't have guessed it but now after this you have to pull up pictures <laughs> of a younger self uh but i feel like um Oh, I was going somewhere. Cut it. We'll have to cut it. <laughs> I will say, I, before we get too far into it, how do we feel about the British accent? Logan's, Ooh. obviously. I think it's reasonable for a small child doing a British accent. I don't think it's, like, super convincing or anything, but I think it's, like, I'm not mad about it. It's not, like, it wasn't disruptive to me, especially because half the movie she's, like, playing someone who like doesn't have a british accent pretending to have a british accent which i found super convincing <laughs> right well so if we're gonna like pull apart the strings of the as your mom said like no kid could fool themselves i think that's where it falls apart more than anywhere is that it's bad like i get that it's an american doing a british accent it's Lindsay Lohan's like feature debut it is not a good accent <laughs> it's not believable it sounds like my british accent like maybe a little bit better and that's terrible <laughs> I don't know. I'm not I'm not hating on Mitty Lindsay Lohan for her British accent. I think she worked hard. I'll do it. I'll hate on her. It's all full. Oh it sounds God. like this, but even like maybe a little bit better. That's cockney, that's not even like... Yeah, well, you know what? Like I said, not rich, not posh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I feel like like part of the like I feel like how I struggled getting into this movie is that nothing that happens in this movie makes any logical sense. Like not a single thing that happens. No. And I think that to me it's just like this movie is in fantasy land. Like it is Fully, yeah. I it's mean, not pretending that it has any relation. Well, I guess it is saying that it has a relation to reality, but it's not pretending that it's a thing that actually happened. Right. I mean, in no world is there a couple who gets married, has twins, separates, and goes, you know what? Uh, you take that one. I'll take this one. And we'll just go our separate ways, and we'll never let them know they had a sister. Yeah, I feel like that's bizarre. I feel like I don't want to be too much on the train of like things that are bizarre to me in this movie because we will be here for the next three hours while I list every single thing that happened in this movie. But I feel like hitting the highlights in this one, like that divorce co-parenting situation, uh, being able to fake being somebody else well enough that like people closest to them don't notice as a small child and small children are famously well, well, hold on. not observant. Hold on, hold on on that. Because there's a whole training montage. They put up <laughs> billboards. They're memorizing the layout of each other's house. If you're going to give them anything, give them credit for really working hard to play the other person. I think they could have done it. I think, truly, I think the accent is where they lose it. She pierces her ear. That's not sanitary. That's not okay. They didn't go to Claire's. She just did it in a cabin, and then her mother's just like, oh, you pierced your ears. How cute. That's nice. Yeah, also, I just want to say, as someone with pierced ears, like, you cannot pass a new piercing as an old piercing. 
it's pretty obvious that it's a new piercing. You also like can't pass an old piercing as a new piercing. So there's like a whole set of things you have to do when you get a body part pierced. So like, nah. Well, like what's the what's the healing timeline? Because I've never had a hole poked in my body. It's super long. It's Is like it a long? couple months. Okay, so because they're at camp for eight weeks. So like even assuming this takes like the piercing happens on like week three, there's no way that it would. No. I also want to say, like, way later in the movie, but, like, there is no way, if you were a reasonable person at all, you would dump your fiancé that quickly and get back together with your ex. Like, you might, but if you do, you're a terrible person. Because, like, you never cared about this person that you're engaged to. Okay. I mean, yes. <laughs> true. But that relationship was never founded on anything real in the first place. Like, it was very faux and, like, not healthy from the very beginning. Also, shut up. I want my cute kiss at the end of the movie. <laughs> Oh yeah, I said, I said, this is my one moment of like, none of this makes any sense, and then we're moving on from the fact that this movie is in fantasy land. But I think the thing that is interesting, because it is so clearly like, a fantasy of a movie, and I was, I was thinking through it as I was like, thinking about this movie, and I was like, whose fantasy is this as a movie? Because it's not mine. And I think that's part of the problem that I have with it. It's like, no part of this movie, other than the summer camp, that was pretty sweet, is a fantasy of mine. And so I was like, okay, but who is it for? I mean, it was... Well, I can speak it was for little Caleb, at least a little bit. It was like, that'd be so sick if I had a twin that I could swap places with and then get my parents back together who were not even separated at that time. That sounds like fun. Also, for older Caleb, because both Dennis Quaid and Natasha Richardson, hot. Either one of them trying to win my love back, I'm taking it. Done. Easy. I think the casting call for this movie was just the word hot, and that was it. And they just put that out there, and then like half of LA came forward, and thankfully Dennis Quaid and Natasha Richardson won out because... I can see that. I mean, they have really nice houses. Also, live-in staff, which I feel like is a real win. Oh, yeah. And Chessie and Martin, right? The butler? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also great characters. I'm personally, I'm going to say Team Chessie. I don't know how you feel. We had to pick a butler. Oh. Yeah, house staff. Absolutely. Yeah. Though, Absolutely. I will say, Martin uh, just jumping all over this movie. at the When they're leaving to go to America to have the big reunion, and Martin walks out in this fucking, like, punk get-up with, like, yes. all leather pants and boots and jacket. <laughs> Sick. I was like, all right, Martin, you're winning me over a little bit. Ches Chessie's still cooler. Martin, couple points. Couple I cool appreciate, points. They, they carry the comedy of the movie pretty well. And I think that I don't love it as a trope when you have like the dignified rich people and then their funny staff. I don't, I don't really love where that lands us as a society and our perception of like people of different socioeconomic classes. But I will say like both Lisa and Walter who plays Chessie and Simon Kuntz? Kuntz? I'm gonna go Coons. Um, who plays the butler, Martin, do a fantastic job. Do a fantastic job. And I don't think there's ever, like, because, well, like, Chessie and Nick, it's, like, always, it's never a, like, beneath and on top relationship. They always seem like they're very friendly. I mean, obviously, there is a power dynamic, but they seem like they're friends to the point where Chessie is, like, basically Hallie's mom. And Martin also, get butler, there's an inherent power dynamic, like, he's being paid to do what he does. But they always feel like part of the family. They never felt, like, goofy comic relief characters as much even though that is kind of what they are it was never like a they were never being put down they never seemed like they were being like made fun of for being in that position if anything they were kind of the like moral center of both of those families that's fair it okay you know what doesn't make sense to me why is nick not married to chessie she's great she cooks some dinner yeah, all the time I, <laughs> listen i'd be hmm, i want to say i'd be down for a chessie nick but, but then you don't get Nick and Elizabeth. And they probably shouldn't be together either, but that's better for Hallie and Annie, and I like that. Uh, but yes, Chessie fucking rules. Uh, probably my favorite character, I mean, besides the Lindsay Lohan twins. Um, but I will say, the entire time I'm watching the movie, I was hearing Jesse with a J, and then the credits rolled, and it said Chessie with a C-H, and I just 
almost had a seizure on the spot. <laughs> like aneurysm pop. This is, I've never heard of that name before. Okay, what do you think it's short for? Because it feels like an abbreviation. It does. I'm, chess master Lisa Ann Walter. I don't know. Like Chesterfield. Chester. Yeah. What? There's no name that makes sense. Chessy is just insane. I don't know if that was the name from like the original book that was written by Eric Kastner. The movie's based on. Well, that the original Parent Trap movie is based on. That this movie is based on. But I, I don't. I've never seen the original. And I've never read the book, so I don't know if that name carries over. If it's a new invention for the Nancy Myers version. So none of the names are the same. I think it's interesting. So the original novel is from 1949. It was actually originally conceived as a screenplay in Nazi Germany um, and then came out in its final form as a novel, which then Eric Kastner helped make into a screenplay again um, in West Germany. Yeah, super wild. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of the original 1949 novel because my German is terrible, but it's translated into English as Lottie and Lisa. And so this is actually not the second adaptation. This is somewhere around the 11th adaptation of oh, this movie. What? Um, yeah. Someone so did research. I did indeed do research. Um, educate me. So there are movies made in Germany, England, Korea, Iran, Iran, and Japan, all before the 1998 movie. So the original movie is actually a German movie. And then that was made into several other movies in several different countries. Some of these were straight to TV movies. Some of them were actual film productions. I think it's super interesting to me that like this is a concept that had such a wide cultural appeal that like it's been remade a million times and to be made in that many different countries and also like multiple times in different countries um like there are multiple bollywood movies i think there's one in tamil and one in hindi um and things like that i think that was super interesting to me and i guess as as a fan of this movie which i think i can say that you are like oh yeah why do you think there was so much of a response to it well i think it's mainly like one as we said earlier like the Character swap, body swap trope has just been in fiction for so long, and it's such an easy thing to do. Um, and then you combine that with, like, like everybody, except for you and your mom, for some fucking reason, loves rom-coms. Like, it makes you feel good. It's fun for the whole family. Like, you just, it's enjoyable. And I think combining this idea of, like, kids getting one over on their parents feels really good for kids to watch. It did for me, at least. And then you have the adult kind of main plot, subplot. I don't really know how you want to argue that. Uh, and that leans towards your parents and it, i think it's just that it's such a good family movie like it just has a little bit for everyone and you can it's such a simple plot of two kids swap places get parents back together you can put whatever cultural influences on top of it and flavor it however you want and make it customized for anyone to see it and get what they need out of it um, it just so happened that i watched the Lindsay lohan version as a kid and went nice good movie yeah but i think i think also in a lot of ways it is a super traditional family values kind of movie, right? That I think that Nancy Myers takes it in a slightly, I'm not going to call it progressive, but she takes it in a slightly less traditional, you know, space by virtue of some of the choices that she makes. But I think that fundamentally it is a, a movie about families getting back together and staying together. And I think that that's something that, you know, people are fans of in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure this movie means a lot to divorced children everywhere. Our children of divorce. <laughs> I was gonna say, what are these children up to? <laughs> Listen, you know, we have some problems in some parts of the world we have to deal with. <laughs> um, I won't, before we get too far out of the like camp stuff, just real quick, there is when they first realize they look like each other and they shake hands after like the fencing match, and there's this push in for this big close up, and there's like swelling of the strings. They have this like magic spark thing as they like shake hands, like <gasps> we are twins, and and then there's some kind of magic to that, and powers have been transferred, and then it's just never addressed <laughs> like that's purely for the audience but they but there is like a look between them at that moment too and then it takes another 20 minutes into the film for them to put together that they're sisters 
Yeah, I feel like I was like, oh, so they're like immediately going to realize that they right. look identical. Like, that's what that shot feels like. That shot feels like, oh, we just did it. Here's like the magic realization. Oh my God, you're my long lost twin sister. How did this happen? No, we just happen to look alike. And what a freak coincidence this world created. Uh, but then we're going to go on and have a like very long conversation about our birthdays and this picture we have of our parent. And, oh, wait, your birthday is this day? And you have a picture of your parent that's cut in half? And I have a picture of my parent that's cut in half. Could this possibly mean? No. <laughs> oh, okay. It is. All right. Sweet. It's children's love movies. It. I love it. I love it. But it's just, again, don't pull it any of the threads or the entire thing falls apart. But it is, it's so goofy and innocent, especially for the whole first act that I just couldn't help but smile all the way through it, even if it's goofy. Especially uh, when Hallie is like, you don't know who Leo DiCaprio is? <laughs> Same. Same girl. What a, what a travesty. Oh, Leo eventually gosh. got over to the UK. He made it eventually. He made it eventually. Yeah, so I guess for anyone who hasn't seen this movie before, which I don't know why you're listening to this podcast if you haven't. I think it's my fascinating voice. After they... Come back, come back, come back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after they do the twin realization, then they then have their twin training montage as they decide that they're going to swap places. Because they both want to learn more about the other parent, which is very reasonable. One could make an argument that there are many other more reasonable plans they could have had, but hey. What would you suggest they do other than swap places and move to a different country to get to know their parents? I want to hear it because as far as I'm aware, no better plan. You're not allowed to see this other person. <laughs> you have an identical twin with which you can swap places. That's what you do. Oh, see, I feel like you just like go home and turn on the tears and say, I need to see my other parent. And then you both do it at the same time. And then your parents are reasonable people, presumably, and let you see the other parent. Right. Uh, key point, reasonable people. We're talking about the people who grabbed one of their twins and shipped <laughs> off to another country. All right? It doesn't... That wouldn't work. They'd be like, no, no, it doesn't. We can't do that. You gotta force it. Yeah, you're so afraid of seeing your ex. Well, that... Okay. I get it. I don't... The, the other thing to me that confuses me about this movie as a rom-com is that, like... We have no zero information about the substance of like Nick and Elizabeth's relationship. Like we know they met on a boat. We know that they broke up for like because having kids is hard because they just broke up. And then they like just stayed apart forever because they were like afraid to see each other. And then they get back together, but like why do these two people like each other? Who's to say? Well, they say they like kind of touch on it. It is again like very brief bits of dialogue and kind of a lot of subtext I think, but they have this like whirlwind romance as they meet on this boat. They fall madly in love, take it way too far, way too fast, get married, have kids. Things don't go quite as well because, shocker, you didn't build, like, the core foundation of your relationship on your cruise ship. And then uh, Elizabeth takes off. And this is where the sticking point of, like, uh, I hate rom-coms. Why does this make any sense? These people shouldn't be together that I just turn off in my brain. Of She gets on the plane and leaves. And then when he asks, like, what happened? Why, why did we never see each other again? And she tells him, because you didn't chase after me. Like, yeah. I left, I wanted you to chase, and you didn't do it. And it's like, let's don't play those kind of silly games. But also, you don't get the cool last scene where he does chase, if that isn't a thing. So, you know, give and take, give and take. I audibly said black when she said that. Yeah, no, it's bad. Even, again, huge fan of this movie. I've loved it since I was a kid. And probably, as a kid, did not realize how awful and terrible that is to do to somebody. Even watching it now, it's just like, oh, why? Why is that your thing you're doing? You couldn't just say, like, I wasn't ready for it. I needed more time. I was young. Just do something goofy. I mean, it's cliche, but don't say I wanted you to chase. Well, and to me, I feel like part of the reason that I like the second act of this movie a lot less 
than the first, which the first one I think is charming and very funny. And I think there are good parts throughout, but it frustrates me that they've set up this sort of dichotomy of two women. There's Nick's sort of new fiance who's, you know, young and sexy and just out for his money. And then there's his old wife. And I don't like when movies set up two women like that to be in competition with each other, because I think that like, no matter how you do it, you're going to be making a statement about the right way to be a woman. Right. No, it is. Um, and you should say the name of that is Fiance's Meredith, uh, played by Elaine Hendricks, which she does a great job of playing this character. It's a terrible character and a horrible depiction of women, especially if you're doing this pitting against um, Elizabeth. But yes, it is like the whole the whole time that like anytime Meredith is in a scene, you're just like, what an awful, terrible human being. How could this possibly be someone you're interested in? And then you're flipping back to Elizabeth, almost always like in the next scene. And she's just like this pure of heart, wonderful woman who just loves her daughter so much. And it is, yeah, you're, you're right. It's very much a like, this is the way to be and this is the way not to be. But like kind of objectively, there is no like nuance to Meredith's character. She's a bad person. I think if there were more nuance within those two characters and you were able to say like, I don't think it's necessarily fair to like qualify this person as a bad person because of their actions, then you could have that argument. But Meredith is like, just plain bad person. Like, and she is a clichely evil villain in a rom-com. Yeah, when I think that her being such a cliched, obvious caricature of a person makes it better to me than it could be. And I think it also, one of the nicer things about rom-coms is that there aren't only two women in here. So it's hard to say that it's making that strong of a statement for this thing or that thing, because it's like, well, you can say this, but there are other women. But I feel like the thing that I really don't like, and it's really my only main issue with this, because there's other things that you could say about like, you know, is it really that bad to be dating someone for their money and things like that? But I would also say I just really don't like the fact that they've set this up so that the mom is really not somebody with a lot of like romantic and sexual agency. Like she's not somebody who's going out there and like she's interested in Nick, but she's never really going to make the first move and go for it. Versus Meredith, who is very much like, I am here. I want Nick. You know, I am making that approach. And I feel like that to me, what? I she do not like. Nick. What? She doesn't want Nick. <laughs> she wants Nick's bank account. Well, presumably she likes him well enough to... I mean, presumably. Again, that's the thing. It's like, you want to say that. You want to give her that kind of that benefit of the doubt. But every bit of characterization for her throughout the movie is just money, 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 money. This stupid brat's getting in the way of my money. And she is, like, flirtatious and she's affectionate towards Nick. But it is immediately turned off the second Nick is not in the scene. When, to me, a lot of that characterization feels like the perspective that children have on, like, their parents' new girlfriends. Of, yeah, like, for sure. You know, you're not going to see the nuance of their relationship. You're just going to see, oh, why is this terrible person coming in? And that's why I feel like this movie, to me, feels like it's from the perspective of kids. Which it feels a little unusual even for a kid's movie, because a lot of kids' movies are from very adult perspectives. And I think that this there's a lot for adults in this movie, but, like, it really is, like, a kid's perspective on what relationships are like, more than an adult one. Because from, like, an adult relationship's perspective, it doesn't track. But from, like, how kids think about their parents' relationships, like, it really does. Mom and dad love each other, so they must be together. And if they're not together, then it's just because someone or something else has gotten in the way. There can never be a, a growing distance of emotions or feelings in that regard. And anyone who tries to step in is just evil and shitty and a bad person. I can see that. I think if you were to have, like, that argument of the film being from Hallie and Annie's perspective, you would kind of... I think every time we see Meredith and Nick or Elizabeth and Nick or whatever interact, it would should be very much from that perspective, but we see them on their own, like without the kids, and they're still the same person. Now, is that like a directing and writing choice to like keep themes going throughout? I don't know. I don't think, if that is the intent, I don't think it plays as like, this is from a child's perspective and like a simplifying of relationships. I think it is just, you've got like a very classical good character, bad character, villain and good guy. Um, but I can 
see like how you can make that argument. Just, if that is the intent, I don't think it plays. Interesting. Well, I, I don't know that you would have to have shot it all from like a child's perspective for that to be the lens through which you're looking at these characters. Well, and I don't mean like a POV shot all the time, yeah. but like have Hallie like peeking around the corner to witness it. And that does happen a lot, but there are just a handful of scenes where she's not present and it's still very, like Meredith is still very much giving off that like conniving gold digging character that has no real positive intentions. Yeah. Well, I, it's not a movie that's interested in complexifying any of these no. characters. Well, and of course you could very much make the argument of like, what's so wrong about a woman just doing what she has to do to get what she needs? Like if she's going to take advantage of this person and they're letting her take advantage of them, that's their problem. That's a whole other argument. <laughs> Probably not one that we should have today. No, especially not me. <laughs> okay. So I just real briefly, I want to talk about Sammy, the dog. Oh, the dog that like that hates little, Annie? That little snitch who deserves a trip to the <laughs> farm. That's all I wanted to say. What a dumb dog. Stop. Get out of here. You almost, he only does it twice, but he is like the thing. Uh, Cause Sammy is the reason that uh, Jesse figures it out more or less. Like obviously uh, Annie as Hallie does some out of character stuff, but, and then when they get to the hotel, like the dog shows up, Sammy just barrels to the elevator and causes kind of the, the commotion and the reunion of those characters again. And I think Sammy needs to just fuck off a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Be a good dog and shut your mouth. I also, I don't understand why, like, everyone in British Lindsay Lohan's life is so bad at telling that she's a different person that, like, several people immediately figure it out for oh, Hallie. Yeah, well, that's, like, well, it's also all the side characters immediately figure out. It's their parents, and this kind of goes back to what you said, of, like, it's crazy that parents wouldn't be able to recognize their own kids. It, it is, correct, fantasy land, let's suspension of disbelief for a movie. But then all of these side characters are who figure it out, like, immediately that something is wrong. And I... I think that that is a really good kind of characterization and indication of like these parents love their children a lot and they seem to spend a lot of time with them, but they're not fully paying attention to them in the way that the help is, right? Like Jesse and Martin know Annie and Hallie like the back of their own hand and uh, Elizabeth and Nick are just kind of like they love them and they're there and they spend time with them, but they have these big giant businesses that they're taking care of. Nick now has Meredith coming to the picture who's taking more of his attention. Uh, and so you just kind of are getting a little bit of a reveal of I think kind of what you said earlier, like the traditional family dynamic, trying to get that back and saying that that's the right way to be because when they're separated, the kids aren't quite getting everything they need from their parents. And if they come back together, maybe that'll happen, but we never find out. Yeah. Yeah. When I think, I don't have that much to say about when they're sort of in their swapped roles positions. I feel like the movie just sort of happens in that amount. It's mostly like a showcase of really nice ways to live, which I feel like is where, so I, I have two opinions about this movie because I sort of think it's a children's fantasy and I also sort of think it's the fantasy of like a 45 or 50 year old woman. So Nancy Myers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> then I think it's also totally like, because I was thinking about it and I was like, honestly, like, yeah, this is maybe where she's making a feminist statement of like, I have this like young, hot 20 something year old who like wants to marry me and I want to get back together with, you know, my ex who is my age and the mother of my children like yeah you go yeah 100 it's like it feels vindicating from elizabeth's perspective of like all this time and he still has feeling for me and that is very much the kind of like chick flick rom-com of it all of just like here come live in this fantasy land and i think kind of bringing it back to the discussion of why does this movie work for so many cultures for so many people is it is just like that's our core thread that's the thing that gets people in the building and then you also have this disney kids movie happening at the same time um and i think both of those kind of play into that, like, again, this older woman fantasy of, like, what would it be like? Uh, but again, I have no perspective for that. <laughs> <laughs> so.
So there's, I guess, carrying on in the plot of the movie, they spot places. Eventually, the discovery is made, obviously, that they're the other kid. And then they, they form this scheme that they're going to bring their parents together in San Francisco right. secretly to have they, them meet each other. They bring them to the hotel. But here's the, the really <laughs> sneaky and awful part. Uh, where the twins are kind of being bad people is they're bringing them to this hotel because this is where Meredith and Nick are planning their wedding and they are just fully in sabotage mode of trying to like get all these people in one room together and have it all kind of come up come bubbling up at once and fall apart as quickly as one possibly could and then it doesn't quite go that way yeah I think one of the things that I found really interesting in this movie and that I liked about it was the scene that they have between Meredith and Elizabeth in the bar where Meredith recognizes Elizabeth as a wedding dress designer. And that to me was interesting to have the sort of kind of the only interaction that you really get between these two characters is not a like, he's my man, but it's like, oh, I really like and respect your work. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's too bad that uh, Elizabeth is far too drunk to actually like handle <laughs> that situation. But yeah, I, I really expected because as much as I like this movie, I had kind of forgotten most of the plot going into it this time. Um, and I was really expecting that to kind of carry on for a lot longer of them having this interaction and getting to know each other and working together and then have the big reveal because that feels like a really good dramatic twist. Uh, instead, they just like two scenes later, Nick shows up and is like, oh, you, huh? You two know each other? You're designing my wet? What? Okay, we're done. Yeah, it's a weird little side plot to put in there, but I, I like that scene being in there. So they're all in this hotel. There are various meetings of people and eventually Nick sees his former wife Elizabeth and uh, is so taken with her that he falls into a pool. Um, which, you know, I can see wanting that from your ex. It's cute. It's funny. Yeah. You know, it's just like so smitten. Well, he's not just like so smitten that he falls into the pool. <laughs> he's like trying to get to her. He's trying to go around the pool and get to her and he gets knocked in. But, you know, he's, he's determined and that's, that's sweet, I guess. Yeah. Um, so he, he falls in the pool and then he just swims across, decides to do it the more efficient way, um, gets out. They have their conference. And this is the moment where the twins revealed the big plan, right? Um, and then both parents are obviously like, absolutely not, what is wrong with you? Uh, one of them is getting married and the other one is just like, you're insane, I can't believe you two would do this. Um, and then we, they decide they're gonna leave and we cut to one of like the better, like it's not the most outright written joke, but it's so funny of them just pulling this threat of, I don't know, you couldn't tell earlier, <laughs> how are you gonna know you're taking the right one home? What if we just do it again? And they use that as a bargaining chip to get the parents to go on one last date uh, where they kind of recreate the first night they met. Uh, they have the grandpa, they have Annie's grandpa buy a yacht, or rent a yacht, and they recreate the uh, Queen Elizabeth II, do a big dinner, and it's very cute and romantic, but ultimately is kind of the same end result of, we can't do this. This didn't work the first time. Why are we doing it again? And I don't know, I think this was kind of the point in the movie, because this is kind of our third act break, and... I, as much as I love this movie, I think it could stand to lose like 15 minutes off its runtime. It gets a little long in the tooth. And at this point, I was definitely like, how many times are we going to go through this? They could have just gotten together on the boat. It wouldn't have resolved the fiance plot, but, it, and you would have missed that little bit of comedy, but like they could have just gotten together on the boat and it would have been fine. I think you would have missed some things about the ending, but I agree with you that it is, for what it is, it's a bit long. Yeah. I just, I think some of... You're right. I think if you're going to cut anything, I think you can cut the Meredith camping trip. because So after they decide it's not going to work with the boat thing, the twins use their leverage again to force them to go camping together. They'll have one big family camping trip, and that'll really make them see that they need to be together, and we need them as our parents. Um, and then Elizabeth pulls a last-minute switcheroo and tricks uh, 
Meredith into going on the camping trip with them. And because Meredith is a, you know, city girl, she can't do the camping thing, which if you want to talk about like some sexist bullshit of just like, this person's a bad person because they can't go camping. Like, oh my God. Yes, I did not like that. There's nothing wrong with not enjoying camping. And Nick says that at one point, like, because the girls are terrorizing her. Um, very funnily, I will add. It was funny, yeah. But they're terrorizing her, and at one point, Nick turns and is like, you know, laid off, this isn't her thing, and I'm not marrying her because this is her thing, I'm marrying her for other reasons. We don't say what those other reasons are, because I don't think they really exist. But, <laughs> I digress. And then, the girls just do one last Hail Mary and drag Meredith in her sleep out into the lake, where she wakes up, falls in the lake, comes running back, and does a terrible ultimatum. I don't know, like, this, again, speaks to, like, it never, well, she gives the ultimatum of, like, your daughters or me. And the fact that she thought that was even an option for a second, I think, is kind of the key to the character of, like, there was never any nuance. There was never, like, let this be a woman who, like, wants something and is just trying to, you know, get her way, work her way up in life. Like, she is just a bad person. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think she's someone who wants money and doesn't like kids. Yeah. I think dating someone who has kids if you hate kids is, like, probably makes you a bad person of some type, but, like... I see you've come around. Thank you. <laughs> I don't... I mean, I don't like judging people for being bad people, even fictional people. It feels bad. But... I do. It makes me feel better about myself. Because <laughs> I'm one. No, I... Yeah, this was probably my least favorite. I, it's still funny, but I didn't like the, like, whole premise that because she's bad at camping, she's the wrong person for him. And it comes out that she hates kids, which he should also know. And honestly, I think that is 100% on him, for not, yeah. like, making sure that she liked kids and his kids liked her. Because, like, that feels pretty essential to having a marriage relationship with someone. Right. And uh, I've been harping on how bad of a person Meredith is this whole time in this relationship. But, like, Nick also, like, she just wants money. He just wants, like, the hot young wife. Like, that is fully where it starts and stops for Nick, very obviously. And it, I think if she had never pulled the ultimatum of it's Annie and Hallie or me, he would have just gone through with it and we would never have the ending of the movie. But I think, I think you could have done that in a better way. I think we do, like, if we had had them on the boat doing their dinner, or maybe when they're in the wine cellar, after the camping trip, they get back. Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth and Nick go down to the wine cellar, and they're like, he had saved, he bought up all the wine that they served at their wedding, um, and saved it, which is, like, corny. Listen, sometimes the caterers just leave you with 20 bottles of wine. What are you supposed to do? Drink well, it all? <laughs> I mean, in your case, yes. Um, but also, that's not what happened. He sought out all the other bottles of this wine that had been made and bought them. At least, like, that's the implication that he, he gives. Anyway, I think you either in... You just cut right to that scene or on the boat dinner, you have Meredith show up and is like, what's going on here? Like, why are you going out to dinner? Like, a very romantic dinner with your ex recreating the first night you met. That's insane. And you have it out there. All the truths come out. And then we move into more of the third act of Nick and Elizabeth figuring out why didn't this work? What can we do to make it work? Uh, although Annie and Hallie kind of fall out of the movie at that point, if you do it that way, and I'm not sure how you make that work. But I think that that makes a far better third act than let's put a lizard on the mean <laughs> lady until she freaks out and says something crazy, and that will finally make Dad leave her. But, you know, you judge the movie you have, not the one you want to see. Yeah, when I think it... I don't know, to me, I think maybe it's one of the things that bothers me about rom-coms is, like, the idea of romance as gesture rather than romance and relationships as practice. That it's like, there's so much of this focus on like, oh, it's this grand romantic gesture that he bought all the wine. And like, yeah, that's true. But like, it says nothing about like what relationships actually are, which is like, it's work. It's work with someone that you care about. But like, 
Well, I think I think that's kind of getting to again as terrible of a point it is as Elizabeth's points of like you didn't chase, you didn't come after me. I tried to leave, and if you really loved me, you would have given chase and come and stopped me. Which kind of sure that's like you wanted the effort from him in this like time of turmoil, but you guys should have sat down and had a conversation. Uh, and I think in that same vein, like if she really had like all the self-respect we're supposed to believe she has, and he pulled this wine thing, she's like, yeah, great, you've scoured the world for wine, and yet. You couldn't come find me. What happened there? But also vice versa for her. Yeah, and so it's sort of the the movie ends. Sort of they have this scene where she decides that she has to go back to England because their life is never going to work. She goes back to England. This time he chases her. He just he not only chases her, gets on a plane that's faster than her plane so that he can beat her to England and then show up in her house. Which I, I guess they felt the need to explain it in the script. They make a big point of like naming, they like say the Airbus is 30 minutes faster. But it's like, you didn't need to do that. You just say you got a faster flight. There um, is so much product placement in this movie. There's way too many details. Again, this movie could have lost like 15 to 20 minutes. And I don't know specific scenes. I think like a little bit of the second act fun and games could be lost. I think the camping trip could have been shorter, if not completely cut. And just made one of the other scenes. I think it could longer. have lost 15 minutes of product placement. <laughs> right. And there's also like a lot of just like small bits and like lines and stuff that if you had cut them, just cut every scene like 10 seconds shorter, it would have made the, the screenplay and the movie as a whole like way tighter. But I don't think it never really dragged. Like the second to third act kind of that moment, that switch starts to drag a little bit with the dinner. But once we get into the third act post dinner, it goes pretty quickly to the end. Like I never. I was never checking my watch throughout the entire runtime. And again, I've seen this movie plenty of times before, even if I didn't remember it, like, frame for frame. Yeah, I agree that it it's long, it could be shorter, but I don't feel like it's suffering too much from being way too long. And that's because it's funny the whole way through. <laughs> like, there's not a moment where I'm not smiling or laughing, except for when characters are sad and having dark revelations, in which case I was not smiling or laughing. But then I was smiling and laughing, like, 30 seconds later, when Lindsay Lohan does a big goof. Yeah, when I... It's one of the things that I thought was funny about this movie is that it's a kind of self-aware ending of it's not really a and they lived happily ever after and here's the montage of them with three more babies. It's kind of like, yeah, Elizabeth is like, yeah, I don't know how we're going to make this work. Anyways, let's get together anyways. The end. Yeah. Well, there is the end credits of them getting married. They do the wedding all over again. Yeah, just, but like... They mirror the opening credits. Yeah. Which is, it's a nice touch. I think it's a, it's a nice way to end the movie, but I also think it's... To me, it feels like an ambiguous happy ending a little bit because it's, well, it's a happy ending, but it's also a happy ending that acknowledges the fact that, like, this happy ending doesn't make sense. But I think, like, Nancy Myers is kind of known for doing this, like, turn your brain off, just enjoy the fantasy for a little bit. And you're not turning your brain off, Emma. <laughs> let, the, let the warm fuzzies wash over you and just let it go. But I also think, like, if, if this ending really wanted me to turn my brain off, it wouldn't have brought it up. Like, that to me is what's interesting about it, is that because it's not really a turn-your-brain-off ending, because it brings up all of the problems. And then it goes, but whatever, happy, happy ending anyways. But, like, you could easily have made the ending and, like, not said anything. Right. And well, so, go ahead. Oh, I don't know. To me, I don't know what function that necessarily is playing. Is it, like, is it intended to make a nod to the fact that we as the audience understand that this is completely unrealistic? Is it intended to be sort of, like, a self-aware last ha-ha? I don't know. I... I don't think it's meant to be, I think it is truly meant to play as just happy ending, they got married, everything is going to be okay, fairy tale ending. If you want to read more into it and take some kind of like pessimistic outlook on love and happiness, you could, the fact that it is a mirror of the opening credit sequence, I think is important and you could read into that as they didn't solve any of the real problems. They just said, I love you, let's get married again. And now we have daughters who might make us stay together. 
And so you end up with the exact same opening sequence of they're getting married, everything seems happy. How long before we just end up in the parent trap too? Yeah. Which thank God they didn't make a sequel of this. I'm pretty sure they did. Did they? <laughs> oh fuck. Hold on. Let's look this up. Vamp. Oh, I uh, did not prepare vamping materials. So. <laughs> you don't have to prepare vamping materials. Vamping materials. They did. Oh well. Okay. So they made a parent trap too. To the original David Swift Parent Trap. They did a Parent Trap 3 and a Parent Trap Hawaiian Honeymoon. This so, is a popular movie that's been made like approximately a million times. It did, yeah. Um, cool. I'm just going to stick to the Nancy Myers one. It's the only one that exists as far as I'm concerned. Because <laughs> I like it despite all of the problems that I agreed with you on. And again, when you pull at any thread in this movie, it's not great. But it's just, it's just funny and it makes it feel all warm and fuzzy and sometimes that's enough did i manage to not ruin your favorite movie for you this is not your favorite movie this is not nearly close <laughs> to my favorite movie uh but no you didn't ruin it i let's i'm far too hard-headed for you to ruin a movie i think <laughs> clearly i should have tried harder you try harder well listen we'll i'm sure we'll discuss some of my favorites as time goes on uh do you have any final thoughts on the parent trap i don't think i have anything snappy to wrap up with i liked it i think i like it as a fun watch it and turn your brain off movie. I think I dislike it from a critical perspective, but you don't have to come at every movie from a critical perspective. Yeah, fair enough. I think that is the perfect consensus for this movie is just, <laughs> you don't think about it. Like I said, uh, I will, I want to finish off with just a real quick, which sister are you? You're an Annie or you're Hallie? Oh, I'm absolutely an Annie. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. I have spreadsheets for my spreadsheets. Here's the thing. I, one of my notes I took, like, especially <laughs> in the opening act was Annie has big Hermione energy. Which is, I mean, I don't know if you were Harry Potter kid and you had any uh, relation to Hermione as a character, but like the nerdy Brit uptight is just fully, it's the same character and uh, that's just my perception of you. Uh, yeah, no, it's accurate. I got really excited about like learning how to do, do a new spreadsheet thing this weekend on my own personal time, not getting paid for it. So Disgusting. <laughs> All right, which one are you? Well, I'm Hallie, obviously. obviously. <laughs> I guess that does it. Uh, I guess we now need to go get our parents back together. <laughs> Thanks for listening. My parents are still together, but we can work on, we can well, parent trap yours, parents no, our, and all. Our parents, like one of your parents, one of my parents, I'm going to separate your parents <laughs> so that I can make this movie happen. Because if one of us is Hallie and one of us is Annie, then it, we have to go through the story. So yeah, we'll just do some really intense surgery um, and surgically switch our faces. Oh, like our next segue. Movie. Boo. <laughs> Gross. All right. Yes. Uh, next episode, we'll be doing the other half of this Trading Places. No, not that one. Double feature. We'll be talking about the John Travolta, Nicolas Cage movie Face Off. Uh, thanks for listening. And, you know, uh, rate, subscribe, whatever other bullshit people do with podcasts. <laughs>